The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Where this week, as every week, we're bringing you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. As longtime listeners know, here on Real Life Real Estate, every month or so, we do what's called an X Factor Investor Interview, where we talk to somebody who's just kind of made it to the pinnacle not about like the details of what color they painted their last rehab but rather about the philosophies and mindsets and actions that they took and fears they overcame to get where they are. And today I have probably the ultimate X-Factor investor. I may just have to retire the X-Factor investor show after today because my guest today is a real estate artist. He's a six-time best-selling author He's an ultra marathoner, an actor, a speaker, and a philanthropic capitalist. And he's done all of that while at the same time having a spectacular real estate business. He's Frank McKinney, and he's joining us by phone from his home. Welcome, Frank. Vina, you know where I'm joining you from today? Where are you joining me from? From my final masterpiece. After all these years, my final spec home that I just finished literally a week or so ago. I don't even have my CO. A $17.5 million direct ocean front house in South Palm Beach. I'm sitting in the master bedroom on the couch looking out at the ocean. Nice. Are you going to get addicted to it and like not be able to sell it? You know, people ask, how is it that you sell these things, Frank? And I, it would be like the used car salesman falling in love with every single car on his lot <laughs> and never selling a single car. No, uh, I have no emotional connection whatsoever to what I build as far as falling in love with it. I love the process of creating them. I love the process of designing them and, and of course, marketing them. Uh, but ultimately, the validation comes when we sell them. So I wouldn't get that if I fell in love and lived here. Mm-hmm. And I believe, unless I'm mistaken, I was looking at your at your website earlier, and I believe you've got pictures of that house. Oh, my gosh. You know, we've done 44 spec homes on the ocean since 1992. This is my 44th, my final, and it is the most beautiful house I have done in my entire career. And so, yes, I encourage you to go to 3492socean.com and see the pictures and also uh, a video that you will likely have never experienced before. It's a cross between uh, a porn video and a Disney movie. It, and it, it, it really is. He's he's not exaggerating. I've actually I've actually watched the thing, and I I was watching it for ten minutes before I realized it was an advertisement for a house. <laughs> yeah, you know why people come to the movie theater to see the next 
production, the next blockbuster, is because of the trailer, right? The trailer. <laughs> so we made a movie trailer for, for this house at 3492 South Ocean. But I want to spend today helping all your listeners understand how I got to this point and, and what a wonderful business you, I, and everybody listening can get into. And let's let's start by you just kind of sharing the story of of how all of this happened because you did not start out in seventeen million dollar oceanfront spec homes. No, and nobody's born a real estate investor. We're all made. It doesn't matter my daughter being born into my family uh, as I've been in real estate the entire time she's been alive. If she wants to be a real estate investor, she's going to have to become one. She's not born one. I was a, a corn-fed country boy from Indiana. I went to four high schools in four years because I was asked to leave the other three. Graduated with a 1.8 grade point average, and with that I had no hopes of pursuing a formal education, meaning college. So I hopped on a plane with a one-way plane ticket and landed in Florida at age 18 and started digging sand traps on a golf course. I was a maintenance worker on a golf course, but, but being a, I was around affluence. I was around lifestyles, the rich and famous back then, if you remember Robin Leach with that cool English accent. And I got to see people live it, not just on a little television set, but I got to see people live it in Palm Beach, Florida. I was a maintenance worker, and I was cleaning up after them, but boy, oh boy, was I enamored with their lifestyle. I moved from the golf course to the tennis courts, became a maintenance worker over there, but I happened to be a pretty good tennis player when I was a young boy. So I picked up the tennis racket again and started hitting the ball against the wall, got my timing back was also interacting with the same ultra-wealthy people who played golf in the morning and tennis in the afternoon and was enamored with what did they do to afford themselves the lifestyle to play golf and tennis all day. So I started my own little business when I was 21 called the Professional Tennis Service, and I went out into very affluent communities, and I put together tennis programs for them. But what I really did, unbeknownst to me at the time, was I earned my Ph.D., in entrepreneurship, really my master's in real estate, by picking the brains of the ultra-wealthy who were paying me 50 bucks an hour to hit a better forehand or a backhand, and asking them the question, how did you get here? How did you get to walk out and close the door behind you on a, you know, back then a $3 million mansion? Mind you, this was in the late 80s. How did you get to drive up your tennis lesson in a Ferrari or kiss a, you know, uh, uh, a beautiful wife, uh, a handsome husband, goodbye, or have a yacht behind your house. And, and the answer I got, being you know, more often than not, as I'm sitting on the other side of the net, is, I, Frank, I, I was a nine-to-fiver. I was a lawyer, a doctor, you know, whatever, inventor. But I used my discretionary income to invest in real estate. And, and that's what allowed me the lifestyle to live in this kind of house and have a Beyonce lookalike wife or a Richard Gere uh, look like husband and 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 really afford me the opportunity to live the lifestyle that I am now. And so, I heard that for two years, Vina. I heard that from the other side of the net. It was real estate that caused these people to have the the lifestyle that I was so intoxicated by as a young twenty twenty one year old that I decided to pursue it. And I did my first flip. When flip was was a word that was used in gymnastics, I mean it wasn't a word that was used in real estate. I did a flip. Uh, back in night, my first one was 1987. I sold it and made it was a crack house. I fixed up and I made seven grand, but it could have been monopoly money. I was so proud of the fact that I took an undervalued commodity. I I took it out of the dumpster and I added value to it like nobody else. I marketed it like nobody else, and I made seven grand. And from that point on, um, 
You know, it's been now 32 years. Five years, I didn't do a house worth more than 100 grand. Uh, I got really good at the craft of real estate, and then I jumped up to the high-end homes in 1992, and we've done 44 of them since, with an average selling price of $14.5 million. And now you're the guy on the other side of the net who people are saying, now how did you get all that stuff? So I, I am. You've come you've come full circle and congratulations. And we're going to explore some of the things that allowed you to do that when so many people would like to and just it's not happening for them as soon as we get back from the break. I also want to invite listeners who have questions to either give us a call at 877-772-9658. Again, that's 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight, or you can send it via email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Frank McKinney. If you feel like you've heard that name before, maybe it was in a bookstore, maybe it was in one of the many media pieces he's been featured in, but he is a guy who has been... Uh, most recently, over the last couple of decades, building kind of ultra luxury spec homes. And if you don't, if you don't, if you don't understand the importance of that, nobody does that. Like when you build somebody an ultra luxury home, they tell you what to build. He builds them and then finds somebody to buy them, which is brave. It it actually it actually I actually have a little knot in my stomach thinking about it, Frank. Um, you know, I I think that. You get the mind right, the money will follow. And, and, and if you go back to the early jobs, the early little flips I was doing before we went to break, I did hundreds of them worth less than a hundred grand. I didn't do a house worth more than a hundred grand for five years. So I got really good at the craft of real estate. And once you do that, you build the confidence to the point where it's no longer seen as a risk. It's a lost opportunity. And so when I jumped from the first or the last hundred thousand dollar house to the first multi million dollar house, by the way, I didn't do anything in between. I went from a hundred thousand to two point two million. <laughs> And it's really a matter of managing the fear associated with taking a risk. Interesting. So that may be the answer to to the next question I wanted to to ask you. Um, I've become a big believer in the idea that a lot of what causes people to be successful in business is just, it's straight up the habits that they have. It's It's how they how they live their days kind of determines how they how their years turn out right what do you think is the most important habit you have that has led you to this level of success is i let you you're right it it does have to do with fear and risk and let me just see if i can do it in a quick little sound bite i wasn't any more educated matter of fact i was far less educated i had no connections i had no money i had no resources i had no friends that 1.8 grade point average under my belt. Yet, I was able to build a real estate empire that allows me to build, you know, these 44 houses on speculation with the average selling price of 14 million. And I look back now almost as, I'm not dead yet, but I can look back almost as a post-mortem on my career as this is the last one I'm doing. And really it was, I want to make it perfectly clear. I'm afraid every day of my life. Okay. I have, I think it's, it's, it's almost inhumane, and it's a death wish-ish to, to not feel fear every day of your life. Um, the difference is, you know, fear, Vina and listeners, is always associated with the thought of taking a risk. 
not the actual taking of the risk. And that thought of taking a risk produces the fear. But when you think about what is the risk associated with relational, financial, spiritual, dietary, almost in every instance, that risk is associated with a big change or challenge in any one of those spheres, relational, dietary, financial, real estate, spiritual. Now, I want big change and big challenge in my life. I think most people would want a big change from being a tennis pro or a maintenance worker to living a, a more li- uh, lifestyle of the rich and famous like I saw. So to do that, I had to learn to manage the fear that was associated with the thought of taking a risk. So, as I said, I'm afraid every day of my life, but I know that if I, I have that sensation of fear coursing through my veins, that I am on the cusp of a big change or a big challenge in my life. And the worst thing that could happen is it doesn't work out. And Bina, I've lost money on deals. Of course I have. But more often than not, I have made money on deals. And wouldn't you rather regret what you did versus what you didn't do in life? I think that one one bit of advice, one habit of, of saying yes more than no to opportunity is what built my real estate empire, my real estate risk tolerance. That's some good stuff right there. Managing managing the fear and doing it anyway. Yeah, I mean, the last little simple example is if you're on a roller coaster and you're going up to the first drop when it's clickety-clackety-clickety-clackety and your heart's in your throat, you're terrified at the thought of what's coming until you drop. And then it becomes exciting. <laughs> That's the same thing with real estate. You know, the thought of building a $17 million spec house or my first $2.2 million spec house when I had only done a $100,000 spec before that, flip, they don't call it a spec, we call it a flip. Whoa, the thought was terrifying to me and my wife. But once I did it and then did it over and over again and got better at it, my margins got bigger, then, then, then the fear's still there, but I can manage it so much better. You know, I just, I think it would be a lost opportunity if I didn't, step aside and let the fear, you know, uh, direct me towards that successful conclusion. How did that fear compare to the fear you felt when you were putting in the offer on the first $50,000 property, having never bought a property before and being half terrified they'd take it and half terrified they wouldn't? Unequivocally, my scariest moment. So folks that are listening, you probably think he must have big you know what, to take risks like he does at the level he does. No no longer do I have big balls because I'm old, A, and B, I've done it so often that it's, it's no longer, it, there's no longer an impediment associated with the word fear. Back then, when I was coming off the tennis court, guys, I was making a hundred grand a year as a 21-year-old tennis instructor. I had a Ferrari when I was 21 from teaching tennis. I was going to give all that up to buy a crack house that when I walked in the front door, there were so many used condoms and used needles and, you know, used drug paraphernalia. And it smelled like, you know what? I gave that beautiful life of teaching tennis up for that crack house and put my own money in being, I didn't know about other people's money or no money down or creative finance. I just put my freaking money where my mouth was and bought it for 36 grand. You know how many hours I had to bake in the hot sun to, to buy that first property. So you better believe that first one was the scariest one but it gets easy after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think uh, if you if you corner people who who coach or or are you know uh, real estate association leaders, you know any, anybody who deals with a lot of people who are trying to get into the business. And you say, well, you know, why is it that out of every 10 people who join your group, you know, only only five of them ever buy a property? The the first thing that will come out of, out of their mouth is fear. The first thing that will come out of the people who deal with these folks is That's fear. Right. So this is this is uh, right. you know, this is this is important stuff that, uh, you know, everybody feels it. Even Frank McKinney was afraid the first every time day. he did a deal. Every day. Every and he's day. still I'm afraid. afraid. <laughs> I'm still afraid. I'm still afraid after all these years. Now, now, one last thought on fear, and then we'll move on to your next topic. I, I want to make sure people understand this. So, so, so the, the statistics that Vina just shared, you know, from all the real estate professionals that run big organizations, how come out of ten people only five buy? Well, really, the, the real number is probably one or two. I mean, there's there's so much fear out there that's rampant, and and then you always hear this stupid axiom where people say. I, uh, it's the fear of the unknown, Frank. I have the fear. I have, I have fear of the unknown. You know what? And this, I wish I could take credit for it, but it comes from one of my favorite philosophers, Anthony DeMello. Write it down. He's not a well-known philosopher. DeMello says, how is it possible that we fear the unknown? We can't fear something we don't know. What we fear is leaving the known. Mm. Oh, yeah. Think about that. I feared leaving the tennis court where I was making a hundred grand a year, holding beautiful women around the waist closer than I should have, teaching them how to hit a forehand or a backhand. I feared leaving the known. You fear leaving the cubicle. You fear leaving the nine to five. You can't fear something you don't know. So once you get over the fear of leaving the known, entering the unknown becomes a whole heck of a lot easier. Very good. Let's let's move on to another another issue that um, I, I don't know. I think when when people look at anyone who is further ahead in their real estate career than they are, you know, if you're a beginner, that's anybody who's done a deal, right? And if you've done ten deals, it's the guy who's done fifty. And if you've done fifty, it's the guy who's doing fifty a month. There's always somebody who's who's up ahead of you in the pack. One of the things that I think folks believe when they see somebody ahead of them in the pack is that person has to be a lot more disciplined than I am. Like they have to be insanely robotically disciplined or, and I, and I will never be that. So I ask every X factor investor, do you consider yourself to be hyper disciplined? I have to answer in the affirmative. I am very, I'm a lot, if you look at my, look me up on the internet, I look like I'm a lot of fun. I'm a lot less exciting than I look. I go to bed at 8.30 at night. I get up at 4.30 or earlier every day. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I don't gamble. I don't womanize. I don't overeat. I don't oversleep. It's not robotic. I will take that word out of it. I mean, I, 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 I'm far from robotic. I'm an artist in everything that I do. But I chose to live an extraordinary life. You must resist an ordinary approach. Something I decided to do back when I was 21 or 22 years old. In addition to those four high schools, I went. I was incarcerated in juvenile detention seven times. So before I turned 18, I was on the wrong path. What I realized, and, and I don't think everybody listening will, will be um, will be afflicted by what I'm going to share, but 
I have, and I've come to learn as I've gotten on in life and through going to see therapists and, you know, just things trying to figure myself out, uh, I have an addiction to excitement. I love excitement. So therefore, when I was younger, Vina, I had a destructive outlet for my addiction to excitement. I would steal cars, I would deal drugs, I would, you name it. I held up convenience stores as a teenager. I liked the excitement. I didn't do it for the money. I just liked the thrill. So, and I got in trouble for it. Now, as an adult, I said, well, you can't, you just can't do that because you're not going to go to juvenile detention. You're going to go to jail. I found a constructive outlet for what was a destructive tendency, i.e. addiction to excitement, in what I do for a living. I sitting on this couch, looking out the window, don't know when this $17.5 million house is going to sell. My monthly interest carry, as you can imagine, tens of thousands of dollars I, my burn rate is, plus the you know insurance and stuff. So, so for me, um, I have to be disciplined. And, and, and I'm married 29 years. Just, we just had our 29th wedding anniversary. That stability in my life has been very important. My, I married my guardian angel, who saved me from me on more, more than one occasion. So, so that's a long answer to your short question. But yes, um, now do I go, go? I mean, go have chocolate cake or whatever now and then. Yeah, whatever your anti-discipline is, other than drinking or I don't drink and I don't do drugs. Uh, no, I don't do that. But I'll, I'll I'm spontaneous. You know, I you, you go to my website. You saw I unveiled the last project. I jumped out of a helicopter. I rappelled down from a helicopter onto the roof of the $17 million house. That's exciting to me. Uh, discipline, yes. I, I rehearsed a lot to make sure I wouldn't fall out of the helicopter. But you, you do. Just uh, to live that, just in, in, to, to truncate my statement, to live an extraordinary life, you must resist an ordinary approach, and ordinary is undisciplined. Excellent. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Frank McKinney. We are talking about the things that, in his estimation, have led to his uh, objectively extraordinary success. And uh, we're going to take your questions when we come back from the break. You can call us here in the studio at 877-772-9658. If that's uh, inconvenient because you're still sitting at work and you don't want your boss to know that you're thinking about other things, you can just shoot off an email. The address is askvina, that's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Frank McKinney, who... I should probably mention before I get so wrapped up in this conversation that I completely forget about it, that he is keynoting the 2019 National Real Estate Investing Summit here in Cincinnati on October 31st through November 3rd. He is opening up the main convention on uh, Friday morning from 8.30 to 10.30-ish. And uh, I'm guessing you probably want to come see him and in two weeks here on the station, we're going to tell you how you can do that at a with a listener special where you make a pledge to the station and get into the event at nothing other than the donation you made to public radio. So uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, if you want to drool over the schedule and all the networking events, you can look at it at uh, oreaconvention.com. That's O-R-E-I-A 
convention.com. Frank, if you don't mind, I want to go to some listener questions here because they're backing up in my inbox and I don't want to leave anybody hanging. Uh, This one is from Darren in, in Detroit. He says, I wanted to ask Frank what motivated him to start buying and renovating those super luxury properties. What is it that he loves about that particular business? After doing the, what was his name, Darren? Darren, yes. Darren, after doing uh, so many smaller houses, I got really good at the craft of real estate. Our margins were around $25,000 on each $100,000 house that I was doing. Like a maintenance worker on a golf course, there was a limit to how much money I could make. Uh, like a tennis instructor, that hundred grand I was making was probably going to be it until I was you know, 50 years old and a raisin from being out in the sun. At that first-time homebuyer level, there was a limit to how much I was going to make per house. That margin was maxed out at 25%, and I had no desire to do, you know, 70, uh, 100 retail houses. I'm a retailer, by the way. I'm not, I'm not a wholesaler. I wasn't a wholesaler. I love adding value to something and making it beautiful. So, uh, I, and I love quality of life. I, I think that those who, who retail 20, 30 houses a year, man, I mean, it's, it's tough on the quality of life. I, I walked my daughter to school every day from pre-kindergarten through eighth grade. That's 1,652 times my daughter never sat in the back seat of a car. Consecutively, I walked her to school. So by me doing one or two bigger houses a year, I was able to have that quality of life. I put about 3,000 miles a year on my car because these houses are so close to where I live. It allowed me to spend more time with my family and also more time with the, the charity that I've, I've had for 20 years, building self-sufficient, self-sufficient villages in Haiti. Uh, and, and, and also kind of like Van Gogh or Renoir or Monet or your, you know, Michelangelo, your favorite painter, your favorite artist, the artistry associated with creating three-dimensional art, which is what I, I do, that you can live in, is extremely gratifying to me. It, it allows a, a release of the, like, I can't really sing and I can't play an instrument, but I can create three-dimensional art. And that, that outlet, that design outlet, that marketing outlet, that creativity outlet uh, is something that's kept me really passionate for, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. If you didn't love it, would you, would you still do it? Never. Never do something you don't love. I'll never do something for the money. Never in a million years. No way. I, I tell you, that's why it's still almost like Monopoly for me. I use the money, the Monopoly dollars cash, you know, the check cash, and I can spend them. But never would I trade my soul for money. Question from Mark in Hamilton, Ohio. He says, hi, Frank. Thanks for joining Vina. I'm curious about how you built credibility in attracting private lenders when you made that transition from $100,000 houses to multi-million dollar deals. <laughs> well, um, I'll tell you, I, 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 private lenders are going to charge me more money and interest, aren't they? I mean, this is, this is going to be a... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a uh, what's the name of the hard money lender? Well, no, I... I cultivated relationships with banks. Banks don't survive without making loans. That's what they're in the business to do. They do take deposits, but they, they pay you 1% and they charge you 2% when they loan the money out, as a simple example. So my most successful relationships, I have had private lenders, but their their terms need to be closer to to large banks than to hard money lenders. Uh, it was it was very easy at the be- it was easier at the beginning when credit was flowing. 
that credit spigot was shut off, especially to guys like me in 2011, you know, 2010. Uh, but it's starting to open up again. And there are certain lenders out there, it's kind of interesting, that, that are new, that are hybrid. Uh, they aren't your traditional Bank of America, J.P. Morgans, that have the Dodd-Frank rules they have to abide by. And they're not private money, hard money lenders. They're they're hybrids. So, so meaning if I had to pay Bank of America 5% or I had to pay a hard money lender 12%, well, this hybrid of a lender, uh, I'm paying more like 7 or 8% to, and they are much more uh, amenable to, to the business that I'm in or the business that you want to get in. Okay. Let's talk about your influences. Uh, most, most of the folks I talk to in, in these segments can point to one or two or three people or books or uh, you know, things that they've listened to over the years that really had an impact on how they thought and allowed them to uh, accomplish the things they've done. What are those things or people for you? First of all, let's get to the concept. The concept is um, motivation washes off and goes down the drain with the soap at night. So forget it. If, if all they did was motivate you today, listeners, I failed. Inspiration lasts about as long as a sunburn. In other words, it'll stick with you like you watch an inspirational movie, and then about a week or two later, you forget about it. Aspiration. Aspiration will change your DNA. Aspiration will alter your life and the lives of those you love. So who did I aspire to emulate is the question Vina's asking me. <laughs> Many people have motivated me, and I've been inspired by a lot, but there's only been a handful of people or situations that have actually I aspired to become like fill in the blank mm -hmm. and for me i mean a, a simple kind of silly examples would be willy wonka now read charlie and the chocolate factory from a marketing perspective the man was brilliant he built a brand he was a little bit eccentric he used the eccentricity to further build the brand he created such a demand for his product that people were going crazy in the stores buying his chocolate I wanted, when I started to get into business, actually before I was in business, to be like Willy Wonka. Evil Knievel is another one from my generation. Uh, the, 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 the bombast in which he took to jumping over cars and creating these events that created a, a very highly paid, that guy in today's dollars made $140 million jumping motorcycles over cars. The risk associated with, with what he did and watching how he, got up in front of the crowd and, and just you know created this this really superhero character. He could have been a comic book character, but he was real. And speaking of comic book characters, I emulated, wanted to emulate Robin Hood. When I was a kid, I used to play Robin Hood in the, in the backwoods of Indiana. I really loved the concept of, of you know stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. And guess what? Through my Caring House Project Foundation, where we built 26 self-sufficient villages in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, that being Haiti. We provided shelter to 12,000 desperately poor children and their families who are eating mud flavored with bouillon and lemon juice. I get to play a modern-day Robin Hood. I don't steal from the rich, but selling a house at close to $3,000 a square foot, some people say we do steal from the rich. <laughs> but I, I like to take the proceeds from what I do and now share my blessings with those less fortunate. So you got Robin Hood, you got Evil Knievel, and Willy Wonka. Those are the most probably bizarre influences you'll ever hear on Venus program, but those are the first three that come to mind. I will, in fact, say no one has ever brought up any one of the three as one of their influences on this show before. 
Well, there you go. When you look to be influenced, go somewhere that not everybody goes. And as, as Vina said, it landed me on the pinnacle of, of you know, of, of real estate success when it comes to spec building. And, and I, I really look outside the box. Of course, I have, I mean, Mother Teresa. I, I, I'm close, I was friends with Donald Trump before he was president. He endorsed three of my six books. I, mean, I could go to more traditional examples. But those three, I, I really can trace that back to my childhood who made me who I am uh, today. And, and Anthony DeMello, by the way, if you, if you if you asked about a book, any book written by Anthony DeMello, who's a philosopher, is the top on my list. I assume that the fact that you're apparently retiring from the spec home business does not mean that you're going to go back to the golf course and just play golf all day long. I assume there is some next challenge for you in your business. Do you Here's what I can share. I can share that, A, I never played golf. I mean, I know how to play golf, but it's, it's boring. Uh, I won't go back to tennis. At all. I mean, maybe for fun, just playing. But I am so monomaniacally focused on selling this house that I am not allowing myself to even go there, Vina. Hmm. I am not going to take my eye off. This, like, this house is beautiful. Again, 3492 S Ocean. Dot com if you want to see it, video and still images, beautiful, but it means nothing until it's sold. So for those just getting into the business, oh yeah, you'll be intoxicated by the buy day, the day you create the opportunity. But too many people have become drunk on dealitis, meaning buy, 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 buy. It's hard if you if you if you are the business like I am. I have to sell. I'm not a buy and hold guy. I don't. This this whole concept doesn't come full circle until I sell what I created. So, you know, there isn't an answer yet. Hmm. Okay. So, when you're not being monomaniacally focused, what do you do? What do you do to stay sharp? I mean, you got you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got you've got the real estate business. You also keep running ultra marathons for some reason, man. I don't know. Have you talked to your therapist about why you would want to do that? That's yeah, of course, but we don't have enough time. To get that. <laughs> that's another. That's another thing that I I, I watch you and I'm like, uh, well, uh, that's great, but what? Why? <laughs> so yeah. So and you've got your villages in Haiti. I mean, you have a lot of stuff going on. How how do you like take time for yourself to stay sharp? Like, what do you do to to sharpen the saw? Well, I, t- I tell you where I've had most of my breakthroughs uh, when it comes to either creative marketing strategies or you know. Uh, I think you said at the very open about, you know, where Frank's not going to talk about the color of what you painted at your, your last house. There is. I came up with the color for my lava countertops in this house at 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning out on A1A, which is the road that runs along uh, the Atlantic Ocean in South Florida. I get up early and run at least three to four days a week, and the other days I'm in the gym early. So that, to me, that time alone, like I am – a, um, I'm a little bit more of a recluse than you would think. I, I don't have a huge circle of friends. I, I prefer just to stay home with my wife and, you know, very, very inner, close inner circle of friends where I can be myself and not have to render advice all the time. Those time that time alone is where early, though, early in the morning is where I sharpen my song. That is you know, and I do take one retreat a year where I go away. Matter of fact, this year I did go to the Evil Knievel Museum <laughs> that I, I encourage everybody to go to in Topeka, Kansas, just to reconnact. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. It's only a two years old museum. So th- those kind of things to 
do allow me to to stay to stay sharp. But Dina, having kind of a renaissance man approach to when I'm engaged in training for my my Badwater Ultramarathon, I'm not thinking about anything else. When I'm running the Caring House Project Foundation and building these villages in Haiti, I'm 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 completely bifurcated for my real estate business. When I'm designing the house on the ocean, I'm not I'm not involved in the Haiti stuff. So just by bouncing back and forth between and writing my books, I love writing. I mean, the six books are there's five different genres. It's not all real estate books. There's a spiritual book. There's a, a philosophical book. There's a young rare fantasy novel. There's a, a a Christian romance novel that's very edgy that I just put out. Those kind of things keep the brain very sharp. Interesting. So no multitasking for Frank McKinney. No, I do one thing. No, I don't have the capability to do that. I really don't. Like, I, I don't know how my daughter does homework with the music on. Like, I can't even do that. <laughs> I have to put the blinders on and do one thing at a time, do it really well, put it in the nice little shoebox, put it in the closet, and then move on to the next thing. Those things can take place during the same thing. Different disciplines can take place during the same day, but not at the same time. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing talking today to Frank McKinney about the things that have led him to the success that he has had. We can take some last-minute questions if you'd like to email them to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Frank McKinney, the keynote speaker at the upcoming National Real Estate Investing Conference here in Cincinnati. Uh, so we're talking about uh, sort of Frank's philosophies and what's made him successful. And and as you've, if you've been listening to the show, you know he has a very interesting uh, mindset and way of dealing with what I suspect is ADD. Frank, I think the reason you can't listen to music and study at the same time is because your brain just wants to grab onto both of them. So you've somehow managed to redirect that into just like incredible focus, which I need you to teach me how to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. ADD, ADHD, uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar. I mean, all those wonderful things. Put them into a blender. <laughs> Push frappe and I'll drink them all. Because, you know, I, 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 make, I make no um, excuses or uh, apologies for the way I'm wired. And I just, I think the key, though, is what you just said. I found an outlet for what could be very, you know, destructive or, or, or sad. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, you know, every day, like, I wake up with this mantra, today is the day. Because you know what? Yesterday I didn't sell the $17.5 million house. Today's the day. And I'll go to bed and it'll be a bummer because it didn't happen. And then tomorrow it's the same exact Groundhog Day thing. Today's the day. And I go out and I try to proactively make something happen. And, you know, eventually it will. And I can't, you know, I, it's great for me. It, 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 it's wonderful for my type of personality. It's a little harder on my wife, you know, after all these years. And that's one of the reasons I'm going to stop is because, you know, it's just tough on her not knowing when we're going to get paid for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't, I know you don't spend a, a ton of time uh, at this point in your career hanging out at real estate associations and conferences and things like that. But I, at the same time, I know you, you'll, you'll speak to three or four a, a year typically and so you are meeting you are meeting these newer investors and you're also 
you're also hearing some of what they're hearing. Like you're hearing you're hearing what they're being taught. I'm going to ask you a tough question, which is what is what bad advice do you think real estate investors are getting that you wish they would just discard or ignore? I can't. Okay, first of all, here, here, here. the the OREA conference or the National Real Estate Investing Summit, whatever the name of it is that you have, and, and you have one every year, right? You yep. have one in Ohio every year, yep. right about the same time, right? In yes. November? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I, I, yeah, I, I get invited to speak at a ton of investment clubs all over the country, and there's good and bad, obviously. Um, every year in my calendar, I keep this little two-week window open, hoping that Vina asked me to come, and I and she and I've been there once, I think, or twice. Twice. This will be your third time. This and be... and I didn't come last year. I'm like, oh well, bummer. I get to fill my calendar with something else. It's not as fun because what happens there in November is unlike anything else. Because the the, the and I don't get to sit in on a lot of the other sessions, but when I do have time, I do go listen because I do want to hear what's being taught. And there is good and stuff, good and bad stuff out there. Uh, not going to sit here and endorse different products or programs or anything because I, you know, like you said, I'm a little more disconnected. But the one piece that I can't stand hearing is get into this business with absolutely no money and no experience. I, I don't buy it. You can make it a lot easier if you have access to some capital to start your real estate business. I don't care if it's Aunt Jane, your dad, your, you know. Your, 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 your 401k, a lot of people say, I don't have any money. And then I really ask them, how badly do you want to get into this business? They have money saved all over the place. They're just not willing to risk their own. Mm-hmm. That's, that, I don't like hearing that. Like, I, I, I do a limited amount of coaching for the benefit of my charity. I don't really like it, but I do it because people will pay and they'll donate the caring house and we can build villages in Haiti. And when I do, I hear that. Uh, and I, I think, wow, you know, You've been told by so many gurus that you can get into this with zero money and zero experience. I mean, it's hap- it does happen, Bina. Of course it does. But your your analogy of, you know, five out of ten buying a piece of property, well, about one out of a hundred succeed with zero, zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, 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 please try to bring something to the table. And it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, it doesn't have to be a hundred grand or fifty grand, but bring Put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you're right. People who have neither of those things, it's it's not that hard to get them. I I actually have a a, a colleague who wanted to get into a business. Wanted to get into the short sale business. So like you can't do that with no money. They they make you write a thousand dollar check just to put in an offer. You, you can't right. you can't you can't do it with no money. And he literally started an eBay store where he would go to like junk shops and buy old classic Monopoly games and things like that and then sell them on eBay. And that was how he got the extra money so that he would have some money so that he could go ahead and get in the business. Of course, that's like long past now. He's not he's not he's not selling games anymore. He's making. Right. But but good for him for. Yeah, I should qualify my statement. Come to the table with like 10 grand, 20 grand. That's not that hard to come up with. And if you you really can't come up with that, then maybe it's not time yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the flip side of experience, because, man, at, at this point, when you've been in real estate for 20 years, you could wake up in a strange city where you had no money, no marketing, no feel for the market, no connections, and you could be in a full up and running 
real estate business in 90 days because of the knowledge that you have, right? The experience of having done it once before. And while it's really hard to replicate that as a new investor, it's not that hard to find experienced investors who will let you work in their business Yep, and, and, and earn while you learn. Earn while you learn. Don't expect to get it for free. You're going to have to pay your dues. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. They're, they're a partnership. I'm not a great partner, by the way. I, you know, I advocate them, advocate for them. I'm just not a good one. Uh, uh, you know, being a part of my partnerships, typically, I mean, partnerships to me are kind of like, are they supposed to be like rails on a train track? In other words, they go perfectly down into the sunset and they never deviate. Well, when one rail goes off a little bit, what happens to the train? <laughs> it's a disastrous wreck. And, and so I, my best partners really are the bank, the IRS, and my wife. And that's kind of how I've kept it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is there anything that you were, you were hoping I would ask you that I didn't ask you? Um, yeah, really about what we do in Haiti. I mean, I kind of snuck it in there, but... <laughs> Yes, the, you did. Well, we have about 60 seconds, and I would love for okay, you to the, tell okay, people what you do in Haiti. 60 seconds. Everybody listening to this call has a professional highest calling. Hopefully it's real estate. What's your spiritual highest calling? I had no clue what it was. I was depressed. I was, I was on the top of the real estate world, but I was not. I had lost all heart and my soul until I realized that I had, a prof- I had a spiritual highest calling as well as my professional highest calling. And I took that. 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, and we started building self-sufficient villages in Haiti. Listen, folks, I am in the housing business. I create the most beautiful houses on speculation for people who don't even need another house. What about the poor and indigent in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere who, who don't, they're living in mud shack covered with palm fronds for a roof? It gave me purpose to my real estate when I needed it 15 years ago. I, I found the soul in my heart again. So I, I encourage you not only to learn from all we talk about today in real estate, but you have a, a spiritual highest calling, and, and there's a passage in the Bible, to whom much is entrusted, much is expected. If you're not religious, it's a great life mantra. If you're religious, it's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 48. Go out and realize that you've been entrusted with a lot, and hopefully you'll go out and share those blessings with those less fortunate. Frank, thank you for being with us today, and congratulations on all of your success now and in the future, I'm sure. And folks who want more, Frank, listen in in two weeks, and we'll be talking about how to get to the National Real Estate Strategy Summit with a simple donation to public radio here on WMKV. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.